morning, Grinders. Welcome to the DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, a.k.a. Blender at Blender HD. If you don't follow me there on Twitter, and it's Friday, it's casual Friday. So, you know, we're taking things casually. We normally do. It doesn't really matter. Uh, talking about an NFL Sunday slate. Maybe uh, I got my MMA sheet uh, done a little bit. I need to update some odds and stuff and add some add some data. Uh, but uh, take, a, take a look at that if you want. we got a big uh, UFC 15 fight uh, pay-per-view card coming up tomorrow. And uh, and obviously answering your DFS strategy questions as always in the YouTube chat. I see you guys in there. Give me those thumbs ups on your way in the door. Thummy thumbs, thummy thumbs, thummy thumbs. Uh, hit the subscribe button if you're new here. Hit the notification bell to know when we go live. Matt Mears, Shannon Lambert, Chris B, Doug Montgomery, Eric Johnson, Card Fan, Bart B, Hog Lawrence, Josh Duck. Good morning. Or GM. I, obviously, the GM people are the are the crypto and NF, NFT people. I'm assuming GM Coffee Cup. Right? People are in a cult. That's what it sounds like. That's what it all seems like to me. One big cult. Uh, let's see. Okay. So uh, NFL. Do we have any more clarity on the Chargers situation? Is Mike Williams going to play as long as he tests negative? What? And then he could he could he could be back tomorrow. I don't know. We need to figure that out. I mean, we still got some few tags out there, so not exactly sure. But we have a little bit a little bit more uh, information. I'm looking at our our gridiron IQ projections that were updated as of last night, and uh, and if you played if you played Showdown last night, I uh, hope you played Dalvin Cook. Right, he was way under owned. He was 24 percent owned in the flex. I think five percent on the captain, and uh, yeah, that, that's uh, I. I played Cook. I mean, I didn't make money yesterday because I didn't have the combinations right. But uh, but yeah, but people were scared of the injury, right? So either he was going to be over owned or under owned. So if if, if you if you thought that he was going to be like forty five percent owned, then not playing him would have been fine. But if you thought he was going to be twenty four percent owned, you probably 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 should have played him. Probably the highest uh, the highest expected value player on the slate at that ownership. So it's not a matter of what you think is going to happen. It's never what you think is going to happen. It has to do with the probability versus the ownership. That's it. That's all DFS is. So people, I'm scared of the injury. I saw in the in the in the Discord this morning. It's like I was concerned about the injury. It's like it's not your concerns mean nothing. What is the field going to do versus the probability? And the field was much more concerned with the injury than than not. Right? I don't, if they, it was there was no injury whatsoever. Dalvin Cook was just Dalvin Cook at 10-8 on that slate. He would have been 45, 50, 55% owned, okay? But he was going to be 24% owned, right? 25% owned. So you play him. If he gets injured on the first play, oh, well. It's not about predicting the outcomes. It's about seeing what the probability is versus what the market believes it is. And the market was off. So I'm going to be on the other. I'll always be on the other side of the market. Uh, right here. Bart B said, same here. Had him in captain in one lineup, but didn't have enough of the other guys. Right. I had him in plenty of lineups. I just didn't have him as captain. That was, that was my main thing. Right. So my lineups were good. Just that without cooking the captain, I wasn't, I wasn't going to win big or anything. I had him in, I think I had a 16 lineups. I had him in 10, 10 to 16, but all in the flux. Uh, to do Ace Boogie, how do you calculate the probability? Well, the probabilities are all in the all in the projections. Last night's Dalvin's Cook projection last night was like seventeen as a median, and it was going to be twenty four percent owned. Everyone else in that range is going to be twice as owned. So playing him is more advantageous. You just look at the projections. That's it. It's a lot. A lot of people. A lot of people just don't like. Yeah, got you. Got to let go. You got to let go, and uh, the math is going to be better than you. All you have to do is all you have to do, like if everyone just looked at projections, we all would, we, would the DFS would, would implode, right? There wouldn't really be much of an edge anymore. Maybe, I mean, there'd be a minimal edge between, you know, who could do the best projections or whatever. But we rely on the fact, especially here, if you're watching this show, if you subscribe to Roto Grinders, which you can get all of our projections, sign up for a combo premium package for all sports. Click on the link in the description. Get ten dollars off your first month. We do all the work for you. That's that's what. What do you think all of this is? That's why we have smash values. That's why we have value percentages. This is all based around the projected range of outcomes, based on 
projections, simulations, a distribution of outcomes. Every, everything's in here, right? And look at the differences between like the ranges of outcomes of most players. Aren't that dramatically different? So people tend to go towards what, you know, certain players, oh, I'm going to play this guy because of X reason. It's like one point better than the other guy. Should it, should it constitute double the ownership? No, it shouldn't. You're seeing where those inefficiencies are. Right, as Daniel Hutchins says, better projections alone would not be enough to beat the rake. Right, right. That, even if everyone had the most accurate projections or decently, reasonably accurate projections, I can't see, I can't see one projection model being that much better than the other that you'd beat a 15% or 10 to 15% rake on the contests. But we're glad that there's still so many people that, that, don't, that don't use tools like this. Even people in the chat, right? Even people in the Discord. People sign up for Rotor Grinders. And they say, well, what do, what do you like today? It's like, I just look, I, I like the projections. Just look at the numbers. Do you like this guy or that guy? It's like, whichever number is higher in a vacuum. I guess that, that's, that's the answer. So taking a look at, especially like salary adjusted plus minus, their expectation on salary. What are the players that are higher owned that, that are over-owned? What are the players that are under-owned? If you just look in a vacuum from player to player. Obviously, we're playing lineups. We care more about the lineup than the individual players. But you could kind of guess what players you're going to have more of in lineups that's going to make up that difference in projection and ownership just by, just by look, I could sort by, by projected ownership, for instance. Assuming these numbers are correct, right? I mean, if you want to change the numbers, change the numbers. I'm just going by just basically what I'm what I'm looking at right now. Okay, you change some of these numbers, and it changes everything. So I'm not I'm not questioning anything. I have not gone through and go, is this guy really going to be this owned? We don't even know the situation with some people. Is DJ Moore really going to be twenty percent owned? I'm not sure. So we look. Let's say we look at the running backs, for instance. So essentially, like either sort by RGB. Salary adjusted plus minus. And then in comparison, look to see who is more, who, who towards the bottom is owned, but towards the top isn't owned. Or you could do it the other way and use sort by ownership. Okay. So anyone that's high on the list that has a lower, like salary adjusted plus minus is most likely over-owned. You're going to get them in less lineups. So based on this, we take a look and it's all color coordinated for you. So that's even better. That as of now, based on these numbers, assuming he's 26% owned, Javante Williams. Over-owned. We take a look here, maybe CH may be a little over-owned. Eli Mitchell may be a little over-owned. Under-owned would be Kamara Barkley. Guys that are lower down on this ownership list, but have a higher salary-adjusted value. Right, so maybe Fournette, maybe Eckler. Won't be owned enough. Not as much, I mean. Still going to be owned. So take a look at like a wide receiver. Right, sort by ownership. Sort by ownership. But we don't know what the, we really don't know what the Chargers situation is. Is Guyton going to be over? Is Guyton maybe, uh, is is Guyton going to be owned even if Mike Williams plays? Well, probably. I mean, Allen's out. So it looks like Guyton over-owned. Judy over-owned. Landry, Higgins, but a little bit over-owned. Chase Beasley a little bit overowned, maybe even McLaurin at eight eight percent maybe over. Mike Evans at seven percent maybe a little bit over, maybe. Well, not not much. You get down to garbage down here. Who's underowned? Well, Mike Williams if he's going to be only fifteen percent owned. Elijah Moore maybe underowned. Right? You take a look. Brandon Cooks maybe is he going to be seventeen percent owned? I don't know. Tyreek Hill at eight percent looks underowned. DK Metcalf at 8% looks underowned. Now you'll eventually see this in the lineups. If we run the lineups, these are the guys that are going to show up more than not for the ownership of the lineups. Okay? So let's say I run a 300 build. Okay? And I'm going to run a 300 build with with uh, with uh, try to trying to make, you know, correlated constructions. So essentially, I'm setting it up so that 
I get three plus one in 50% of my lineups, three plus zero in 30% of my lineups, and skinny stacks, kind of two plus one in 20%. Just elected. I mean, these numbers, oh, you always do it this way. No, no, I'm just saying, I'm just making some baselines. Just so, we, just so we get a whole variety of different types of lineups. 50% of the lineups will have a secondary stack. Does that mean you should play 50% of the lineups? No, it doesn't. It doesn't mean any of that. But I always have to say, I'm putting this up just to blurt out example lineups. Instead of having all of one type of lineup, but we have multiple different types of constructions. 50% of the lineups will have a running back and a DST together. Does that mean you should be doing that? No. It just means that I'm just looking, for example, for today's show to get a, as many different types of lineups that kind of make sense in a vacuum singularly. So you see, oh, it's a stack here. It's this thing there. And depending on the projection, maybe there won't be a secondary stack. Maybe there will be. So this is not like, oh, this is the way that you set up your stack. This is the, this is the cheat code. There's no cheat codes in optimizers. There's no, I'm just giving a, just a broad template of what the lineups should look like just so we could go through 300 lines, right? And I'm setting up quarterbacks at like 10%. So we're going to get at least 10 different types of stacks. That doesn't mean you should do it that way. That's been, I'm just trying to get 300 different types of lineups. So if I don't set max exposures, we're going to get like the same lineup with a 1v1. I could set unique players to two also, or three or four. I'm just trying to get a wide array of lineups. So I'm going to build 300 like this. This should be good, right? So I'm going to build these. Because then we're going to start eliminating some. And you're going to see by the time we finish eliminating lineups that all the players that I mentioned based on the numbers, the guys that are, quote, under-owned, you're going to see a lot more. You're going to see that that's going to be the guys that are going to be in many of your lineups. And the ones that are over-owned, based on that salary adjusted value, you're going to see less of. I mean, so it's not something you even have to, it's not even something you even have to do manually. Oh, I'm going to go through and I'm going to X out people. You don't have to X out anyone. You don't have to, you don't have to set exposures on anyone. But it's just pure math. That obviously, obviously players that stand to have a higher expectation versus their ownership are going to come out more. Well, obviously, the people that have, uh, the players that have higher expectation based on their salary are going to come out more. And then once you eliminate lineups that are too high owned for their projection, the ones that are, that are, you know, that are over-owned start coming out of your, out of your set of lineups. The ones that are over-owned, like I, I'm expecting, like when we start excluding people, we start eliminating lineups, that we take a look at this ownership, that we're going to be getting rid of a lot of Javante Williams lineups. We're going to get rid of a probably a bunch of probably a bunch of Antonio Gibson lineups also. But we're probably going to get a lot more Eckler, Fournette, Barkley, Kamara. We're probably going to get a bunch of – if Barkley's uh, projected ownership is 10%, we're probably going to end up getting – we may end up Barkley in half of our lineups. Maybe. So that's what I that's what I want to show you. And it's going to take a while to get 300 lineups to get spit out with because well, only because I put on so many different varieties and types of lineups. Just to show a little bit more realistic type of spread. Obviously, if I don't send anything, we're just going to get 300 optimals and you're going to see like 98 percent of one guy in a lineup. And that that isn't necessarily reasonable when you're building GPP lineups. Getting news, I see on my Twitter timeline that it's unlikely DeAndre Swift plays Sunday in Denver. Does that help? Or does that mean we play Jamal Williams? Do we have? Do we have Swift? Do we have? Oh, we have Swift in. Jamal Williams, fifty-five hundred at Denver. Not the greatest. Not the greatest of matchups. Makes him more of. I guess it bumps him up more. But I think we got. I don't think he's going. I don't think Jamal Williams is going to get up there especially since he only played like 47. They spread it out a lot more last week. Uh, the Lions did. And we also, we got guys, we got guys, we got, you know, we got, uh, we got Barkley, we got Jacobs. We got Gibson at 6K. I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily think Jamal Williams is going to make that much of a difference. 
So this is still building. It's going to take a while for 300 because of all the settings and all the, you know, the just trying to fit everything together. <sighs> Raul, is it bad to run the sample initial build without creating your groups? I don't, why do you need to create groups at all? You use the tools to build the lineups you want. I constantly have to say this. So I know where that question comes from. An optimizer, I'm going to repeat, I repeat this so many times. And until you get it, you're never going to be a winning player. An optimizer, such as Lineup HQ, is an, an efficiency tool. It's not there to build winning lineups. Okay. If I gave you a toolbox and I said, I'd like you to build a bookcase for me. Do you just go in the toolbox and like tools work? Like, no. Well, what do you want to build? Well, I don't know. Well, until you don't know what the, until you know exactly what you want to build, are you building a four shelf bookcase? Are you building, I mean, what type of wood is it? What, I mean, the tools in and of themselves don't do anything other than obviously increase your efficiency be very hard to nail wood together without a hammer, right? You're going to have to find, find a heavy book, right? You'd find a heavy book and take a running, running start. And maybe by the end of the week, you'll have that nail in the wood, right? Or something like, I mean, that's what the tools are for. Should you be doing this when running? You could do it any way you want. This is here to make, make it easier for you to build the lineups. You already know what you want. I'm building a king size bed. Okay. How do you build a king size bed? Well, what type of what type of headboard are you having? What type of what type of the foot stuff? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not a I'm not a I don't do construction. I'm not a carpenter or anything. But that's what I'm talking about. Imagine an architect just going like, okay, I'm not gonna have any plans. I'm just gonna go there and just just I'll grab some stuff and we'll see what this building looks like at the end. Like, no. What is your plan? So do you need groups? I don't know. I don't even know what lineups I'm building yet. So I'm running these just to get a sense of something. So do you set everything like, set every, oh, I'm going to set all the exposures. I know so many people that do this. So many, so many losing players that do this. They go in, they start setting. I want 20% of this guy. I want, I don't want more than 10% of that guy. And they start filling out like so much stuff. They go into build rules. They go, I want three uniques. I want I want uh, no more than 10% of any defense. I want a uh, 30% wide receiver. And they start filling all these things. I don't want more than 120% lineup ownership. I, and they go through all this stuff. And it's like, like how do you know that that's, that's making? And then, then they press the build button. They build 150 lineups or whatever, 20 lineups. And then they enter it. And I'm like, and then they complain. It's like, uh, the optimizer gave me, uh, out of my 20 liners, gave me 12 of this guy and they sucked. Why? Why? The optimizer's bad. You didn't, number one, you didn't check your line. Did you want to play 60% of that guy? Well, no, but that's what the, that's what the optimizer gave me. Well, you don't have to play those. There's, there's hundred thousands of lineups that you could play. Why did you play those 20? Well, that's what the optimizer told me. No, the optimizer didn't tell you anything. You told it. You told it what to do. Why are you going through and setting a million different things as if you know what the lineups are going to look like after? Like, dude, either you know exactly what you want and you're just going to build them directly like that, or you're going to run lineups and see what shows up. See, oh, that's a good combination. That's a potential thing here. This is a whatever. And then you could curtail it from there. Or you could go and iterate like one after one. I mean, you could iterate 50, 100 times. But if you notice, it's like most of the time, like these numbers over the min max and everything like that, when I'm building lineups, when I'm, when I'm building like 150 lineups, are like the last things I do. And that's from a diversification standpoint. That's not even from a lineup standpoint. I'm not going in and just setting setting every 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 option under the sun. I'm doing something more like this. Like to me, this is a little bit too too constraining. 
right? I'm just like, okay, give me, let me see a whole bunch of lineups with, you know, 10, 10 different quarterbacks, potentially some of some secondary stacks. And even this, this may be even too limited. And people are going in and setting even more than this. Right. We're still getting 91% Mike Williams. Look, 80% Saquon Barkley, 40, 57% Fournette based on the ownership versus the projection that we currently have. Right. And I'm going to remove this. Oh, let's see. Uh, okay. So quarterback to quarterback. We'll see. We get a whole bunch of quarterbacks. One Mike Lennon lineup. Oh, we got a Mike Lennon. Right. Taysom Hill, Kamara Smith. Got a whole bunch of stuff. So let's say we start, we start removing lineups. Now we have 300. This is going to take a while. So we do the very, the very blunt methodology of just, you know, compare the ownership to the projection. And you don't want to play a lineup that is higher projected than the, the higher owned than the one above it. Right. So 127, 120, right? Because they were sorted by fantasy points. This is a very blunt method. This is not the method. It's just a blunt, just a blunt method. Doesn't mean, doesn't mean, oh, this lineup is is 9% more owned and 0.02 less projected. It's a horrible lineup. Now there's probably a very good lineup also. But you're not going to be able to you can't, if, if you're not you're not going to be able to play 300 lines. You're not going to be able to play a thousand lines. You have to you have to cut some of it off, right? So I'm just showing. Once we remove, right now we're down to 103, right? So when, now we're removing the lineups that are over 103. There may be a lot of them. One hundred three, and someone in the uh, in the Blenders Game Theory channel has an Excel spreadsheet that you could potentially do this. I don't necessarily like the functionality of how he has it set up, where you essentially you could you could basically download. You have to download basically the entire player, the player projections onto one sheet and then the the lineups that you have on another. And then you cut and paste the lineups in and it'll show you like zero, like any lineup that is like higher, that is higher owned than the one above it. It puts like a zero there and a, and a one for the ones that are. So you could highlight which lineups are left, but it doesn't tell you like that the figures. So I'm going through. Okay, this is 102.5. Okay, that's lower. The reason I'm going through all of this is to show you what ends up when you're when you're done with it or what players end up there. Like we're gonna see a lot of the when we went through with the RGV value, like the ones that are over-owned and under-owned. You're gonna see that in the lineups that are left. I mean, you already see that in the lineups that are here to begin with. So 103, 102. So we're looking 102, 101. Okay. I'm probably gonna end up skipping over something. 101, 101. Right. So we're getting rid of the ones that are higher owned than 101. Okay, here's a 97 lineup. 97. And like I said, this is a blunt method. Ownership sum is not is not really. It's not the best. Ownership product would be better, but even then, ownership product is still a, is more of a blunt, a blunt tool. But the concept still applies. Your goal is to build lineups that have the highest projection for the lowest ownership. Right. So we have plenty of lineups here that are in like the one thirties that project lower than the lineups of. You know, lineups that are 103, 97 have a higher projection. Doesn't mean you can't play these lineups. These lineups could still be plus EV, but not as plus EV as the lineup above, right? That, that's essentially what we're, what we're doing. But yeah, these could be very good lineups. But if you had to condense it down, you could only play 20 of these. Don't you want to play the 20 lineups that are the, the highest expected value? Let's see. Can we find? We're going to get to some point. I mean, because I put ten percent on quarterbacks, so we're going to get 
some lower owned lineups, even if they don't project that well. We should at least. Now, what do we have to be? We have to be 97. Ninety-seven. Feel free to post your questions in the YouTube chat as I do this. I know this is not very interesting to, to hear on the podcast, on the podcast feed. Like all I hear are mouse clicks. The main reason I'm doing this is because I want to show you what we're left with. How when I went through the players, you know, when we went through it, it's like, oh, this guy's over owned, this guy's under owned. Like those are the guys that end up the under owned guys are the ones that you're going to see in the lineups that are left and the over owned ones are the, you're going to see not in the lineups that are left. Which means either you, you could obviously do it and look at the players one by one, or you could just run the lineups and see. Like so many times, so much of this stuff of who's over owned, who's under owned, that type of stuff. Like just run the lineup. When I say run the lineups, that's the, what this type of stuff. Just run the lineups and see. Oh, I'm getting a lot more of this guy. Okay, there has to be a reason for that. Does it mean you have to play 90% of them? No, of course not. But it means that in a vacuum, they're the, they're the highest expected value player because of their projection versus the ownership. They're the core pieces that make the lineup project well for lower ownership. We didn't find any. 103, are we getting 97? We're still, no, we're only down two points from there. 97.6. Okay, 96.9. Okay, we got 97. The fever's coming down. The fever's coming down. Ninety-seven. How many lineups have we eliminated? Have we eliminated a hundred? It's gonna take a while. I expected more lineups, actually. Like we got a big, massive drop fairly early, so we're gonna be getting rid of a lot of lineups. Ninety-eight. Are we beating that? No, we have to beat ninety-six. Even though this could be a fine lineup. Mahomes, Pringle, Hill, Josh Jacobs, I guess. That could be good. I mean, all of these lines could be fine. Just that which ones are the, the, the potentially higher expected value ones out of the bunch? Getting news. I see a tweet that uh, Pollard is a game time decision. Mixon is at practice, but he's in sweats, looking more and more like a game time decision. This is what is why. Why do people build lineups like now, dude? I stopped even building lineups Saturday Saturday night, right? Because we get all these guys where it's like you know I'm not even sure what's going to happen in the morning, and it's going to make a difference. I mean, look at last week with Michelle and Henderson. I don't know what was going to happen. So, like, why am I building lineups on Saturday afternoon or something? I could do this on Saturday mo- on Sunday morning. Hell, I could I I do it before inactives, but I mean, I could still even get it done in ninety minutes. People want to build lineups on Thursday. People want to build lineups on Tuesday and Wednesday, and I go, "You're nuts." We still got tons of Q tags out there. Am I going to find any lineups under 96 here? 96, give me. Are we going to find anything? How many lineups are left? Oh, we got we, oh, 82. Okay, we, we, we got rid of a lot of lineups. Okay, this, I just want to make sure it's like, oh, this is taking forever. So we're almost there. Do we have anything under 96? Anything at all?
96.1. I mean, that technically is lower. Yeah, we're only giving up a point and a half there. That's, that isn't horrible. 96.1. 93. Okay, now we're getting some lineups. 93. We're going to see what's left. I didn't even look. I don't even know who's in these lineups. I have no clue. I mean, I have a clue because we, we looked at it before. And it's not like I'm eliminating. Oh, I can't play this guy or that guy. No, he's just lineup. I'm just looking at two numbers. That's it. The only two numbers that really matter. Okay, there we go. We got, we're down to nine lineups. And look, look, look who's in the lineups. Mike Williams, Barkley, Elijah Moore, Fournette, Kamara, Traquan Smith, right? Ty Tyreek Hill. Like what we're not getting at, at running back. Not getting, barely getting Jacobs. We're getting a lot of Barkley, Fournette, Kamara. Not getting Mixon. Not getting uh, Gibson. Right? At wide receiver, Williams, Moore, Smith, Cooks, Hill, Pringle. You have one DJ Moore lineup. Tight end, you're still getting a Shaughnessy, Everett, Kelsey, DST. A lot of the Buccaneers at 1%. Quarterbacks getting a lot of, a lot of Hill, Kamara, Smith type lineups. But this is based on the numbers that you may, you may Taysom Hill 15% on. You may Kamara 20% on. This entire thing changes, right? Because the projection isn't going to change. So this lineup... If Taysom Hill was 15, another six, you'd have to add another six to this number. And if Kamara was, was 20, you'd have to add another seven to that number. But the projection would still stay the same, which means he, now these lineups actually end up being over over That little difference. Traquan Smith, instead of being 2% owned, is 8% owned. Well, that changes the number. That, that changes this. It changes the ownership some, but it doesn't change the projection. Just like with Barkley, right? It's like, oh, if Barkley's projection goes down, it changes, right? If Barkley at 16.65, let's say, gets projected at 13.65, well, now you're taking three points off of there, but nothing off the ownership. The numbers matter. So although I'm just doing this process based on the numbers that are currently in lineup HQ for gridiron IQ. If you're using another projection set, if you're using building your own projections, you're changing the ownership. You're changing. Do that before you do any of this. So you're just basing it on these numbers. The whole goal before you do this is to get all the players down to two numbers. Whatever two numbers you use. Now, can I use ceiling projection? Of course you can. So use that as a number. That's fine. But you want a projection number and an ownership number. That's it. Obviously, want the ownership number to be as accurate as possible. You're not going to ever get it perfectly. But maybe you don't think Javante Williams is going to be 26% owned if Melvin Gordon's it. And you go, no, I think he's going to be 10%. Owned. Well, change the number before you do anything. You think Barkley is actually going to be 14%. Owned. I mean, it doesn't have to change much. You change Barkley's ownership from 10.9 to 16 he may end up in those nine lineups that we had left. Maybe he only ends up in two of them and not in nine and eight out of nine. That's how th those differences may matter. But that's what I was telling you before, right? We sorted by ownership on these running backs. I said, we're probably not going to get much of Gibson, Williams, Mitchell. We're probably going to get Fournette, Eckler, Kamara, and Barkley. And oh, well, look at it. That's exactly what happened. Wide receiver. So probably not going to get Guyton, probably not going to get Judy, Landry, Higgins. Probably get a ton of Mike Williams, Moore, Tyreek, Metcalf, maybe, maybe a little more, maybe possibly Diggs, maybe, maybe some Brandon Cook. You know, and they, that's what happened. Tight end sucks. But like Everett compared to Shaughnessy, like Everett's 3,500, Hooper, right? We take a look at Everett versus Hooper, like Everett projects, Everett projects more than Hooper, but Hooper is projected higher up. So obviously you play Everett over Hooper. Based on these numbers, you switch that around and it goes the other direction. So I can just look at the I just look at this and know what, what's going to show up in lineups. 
I don't have to. I don't even have to run. Oh, I'm going to run 300 and see what happens. I mean, you can. But I can get a sense of like, oh, who's going to show up more than others? Just based on the, just based on looking at the numbers. That's it. Going game by game, uh, game by game and going, oh, what stacks are going to show up more often than not? Well, the the, the games that have the, the higher projected players in, right? You go to Dallas, Washington and go, why am I not getting a much of Dallas, Washington? It's like, well, the, the, the salary adjusted values of these players are, are, are low. Doesn't mean they can't hit a ceiling. You're right. But their medians are, are lower in comparison to others. Right? You take a look at it now. You see much, much, much uh, better numbers here. Jacobs, Hill, Renfro, CEH, Kelsey. A little bit better here. Take a look at New Orleans. The Jets. You see Kamara, Smith, Moore. Then you have Taysom Hill as one of the better projected quarterbacks, salary adjusted wise. And you wonder, that's why you're getting a lot of it. And then the high, the higher on those, those types of players are, the less you'll get of them because you're sacrificing ownership in your lineups. And the more that they're under owned, the way more you're going to get. Just these are just the basic concepts of DFS. You could do this in any sport. Michael Dampier says, without building groups, how can I put in the 90 hours per week I need to be successful in DFS? Right? You got to spend all that time to make all the stuff. No, you don't have to spend all that time at all. <sighs> Bjorn Hagen, is there a way that you could quantify correlation between quarterbacks and pass catchers or runbacks? Yeah, just to regress the data, the pass data. Obviously, intuitively, a quarterback and a wide receiver is going to be correlated to each other how correlated you'll get you'll get a correlation coefficient you look at all the past data but remember nfl is such small sample sizes this guy is 0.16 and that guy is 0.12 well i gotta play the one that's 0.16 how how much how much dramatic of a difference in a one game sample size is gonna matter Uh, possibly a stupid question. Did someone say RG improved functionality to allow multiple settings save for different size builds? Yes, you could save your settings, right? You could save sets of settings here. I don't do it, but you could, you could save whatever setting you have, right? In the build rules, like you could save, right? Update DK NFL defaults, and then you could save a new, and you could add a new blank set and save that. And you could swap between them. So let's say you have a let's say you have an entire setting for the millimaker, and then you have an entire setting for building like your three max lineups. Like you could do that now in, in RG and swap between them. Uh, right, Eric Brunick already answered that question. Raul says, so now that you've cut it down to nine lineups, you have an idea of what stacks you want to run and you'd rerun those primary stacks, right? Well, you could. Depends depends on what you want to do. I'm just getting a sense of who is under-owned, who's over-owned, what type of combinations. Do I want to play a chalky James O'Shaughnessy in the tight end spot? Maybe not necessarily. Maybe I'd rather play Everett there instead. I mean, I just look through and I go, okay. Taysom plus Kamara plus Smith. Maybe I, what are the Taysom plus not Kamara? I mean, can I do Hill plus Smith as a single, right? Can I run Hill? Do I have any Hill, Smith, uh, Elijah Moore lineups? Like all of these have Kamara in it, right? But I think based on this, I could still run decently good lineups with Hill plus Smith. So I don't have Hill and Kamara in the lineups together. I could have him in some lineups together, but I, I would think that Hill plus Smith plus Elijah Moore is fine also. If you, if you take this to extreme, you're going to end up with like the same lineups. Right? I mean, just take a look. The, the diversity between these lineups is very low. So you have Williams. Look, at, look how much of the same guys you have in nine lineups. I'm going to play 100 lineups and have 80 lineups with Mike Williams in it. You can. 
those lineups are still they're they're still the best lineups. But do I want do, do I want to be that that less diverse, especially in a sport that has high variance? Probably not. So I just want to look at the possibilities. So like based on this, it's like why don't you play 150 case of mill lineups? Well, you can, and it would be plus EV probably. But the Saints Saints crap the bed, well, you lose all your money. Why not build good lineups for different teams also? You can. People don't realize how many plus EV lineups there are. 100,000. Okay, you, how many are you building? 20. Okay, choose 20 out of 100,000. There's probably, what, 50,000 that have about the same expected. Value. So you have 50,000 to choose from. And it doesn't matter what, what 20 you choose. Right? If you played this slate a million times, whatever 20 you choose, you're going to end up with the same amount of money. So which ones do you choose? Would you choose? Since you're not going to be playing it a million times, you're probably I'm, I'm probably going to be more diverse. That isn't incorrect or correct. It's just that I could play 20, all t- 20 Taysom Hill lineups. But if you're telling me that there are similar expected value lineups for literally any, any, any out of these 50,000 or whatever, then give me, give me a diverse set of them. So I have different paths to potentially win. So I don't put in a thousand dollars and get back zero. Or put in a thousand dollars and get back a million and a half dollars. That's a diversification thing. It has nothing to do with strategy. Daniel Hutchins is correct. Because of the small sample size, it probably makes sense to compute correlations for similar classes of player rather than individual players. Right. And you could say quarterback to wide receiver as a certain correlation. Why, you know, the different types of players, if anything. But to say, it's like, oh, what's the correlation between between uh, Brian Tannehill and, and Julio Jones? Like, they've only played like five games together. Or especially between wide receivers. Like DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett have played a lot of games. And that's still a small sample size to say, when, when are they correlative? And what, what's, what's the coefficient between them? The R. For most teams, Galladay and Shepard, what's their correlation? Galladay's only been on the, the Giants just this year. And I think maybe, I don't know how many games they play, even played together. Maybe they've only played three games together because both have been injured for games. So, like, what is that worth? Three-game sample size of that, and it doesn't mean anything. You care more about, like, a, a running back versus wide receiver under the opposite side of the game, you know, like that type of thing. From a larger sample size, from five year, 10 year, 20 year sample size. Neil Jaworski, Blender, can you go over a high level overview of your late swap process? What, what's there to go over? The lineups that are towards the bottom, take out the chalk. The lineups that are towards the top, you insert the chalk, the block. I mean, that's in general. That's a very macro view. I don't know what, what else would I be talking about. Okay. Peter Corey's I'm here for MMA. Okay. What do I got for MMA? I haven't updated these odds, the betting lines, since what? Early yesterday? They probably haven't changed that much. And I don't have ownership from one source. Uh, Amanda Nunes is going to go wildly over on tomorrow. I'm going to be under on Amanda Nunes. Now, she's minus 950 to win and minus two. She's 90% chance to win and 73% chance of winning inside the distance and 40% chance of winning in the first round. The problem is that she's expected to be about 60% owned. And it's a 15 fight card, and she's the most expensive fighter. She has the highest likelihood out of all fighters of scoring 100 points. The highest out of all fighters to score 100 points. But there's also 15 fights on the card. Amanda Nunes' first round victory at 100 points at 9,500 may still not be optimal. Now, if he gets, if she gets 140, yeah, that, that, then you're probably going to need her. 
But we have so many guys up here, so many fighters. Silva's minus 205, 67% inside the distance. Jillian Robertson is 55% inside the distance, 16% owned. And Robertson's more of a grappler. So Robertson could get a third round finish and actually outscore Nunes. Alex Perez, look at look at all look at the inside distance lines of a lot of, I mean, 49%, 52%, 48%. is gonna be popular. Like there's so many, there's so many fighters. You got obviously the main event fighters, but you got just in just in the in the in the from eight thousand up. Look, Jeff Neal, thirty six percent. Panzanimbio, thirty three percent. The the heavyweight fight between Sakai and Tuavasa, forty three percent for for Ty. Marie's is forty three percent. Garbrandt's thirty eight percent. Ryan Hall's forty nine percent. Like any of these, any of these fighters, we have so many of we've. It, it on a 15 fight card, there may be 12 finishes. There may not be that many decisions on this card. And there's so, so many fighters that could score massively. And if Amanda Nunes has, you know, she wins in two minutes, you know, based on, you know, on, on ground and pound or something like that, then you're sitting there with what, 102 points, maybe, right? Or maybe a submission, you're right, 102, 105. It's like, dude, if, how many guys, how many fighters underneath here could score 105 with the, with inside the distance? Plenty. She has to be the highest scoring fight at 9,500. She's the most probable of scoring 100. I give you that by far. But based, based on the, the leverage, I mean, she's still, look, she still rates really high. But Robertson, Garbrandt, Ryan Hall. I mean, even Sylvan Perez compared to their ownership. Because look, if, if Silva's going to be 30, Silva's going to be half as owned as Nunez. And he's, he's about 67% chance to win inside the distance also. But like Robertson, Perez, like, yeah, Perez is plus 180. Oh, that's not a horrible inside the distance line. That's 36%. At 16% ownership, who says Perez can't have 120 points? Who says Costa could get a first round knockout, getting a quick win bonus, right? He typically doesn't go more than two minutes in fights. Ryan Hall is, is plus 105 inside the distance. Who said he can't put up 130 points? I just see so many possibilities, high scores in the top that there's more, to me, there's more value in fading Nunes than playing her. Now, if you're playing cash games or something like that, yeah, you play, you play Nunes. Over, over, over these these other fighters. I get, I get that. So that's really what I see here. It's just so, it's so many. Look, these inside the distance lines are nuts in relation to a lot of slates that we'd play in MMA. Look, currently we have four fighters that have over a fifty percent chance inside the distance that have minus money ITD. We have two that have minus two hundred ITD. And then in this mid-range, we have a lot of even fights. One of these fights, you know, boom, 132 points. It could be any of these guys. Probably not Dominic Cruz, but probably not Miranda Maverick either. Probably the least, least appealing fight is probably Maverick and Blanchfield. I mean, from, a, from an ITD perspective. I mean, look, Jordan Wright has better inside the distance odds than, than that, that fight. But to me, I, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be targeting like to, to me, my 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 favorite, my favorite, the most underowned fighter, as of what my numbers say right now, on the top end is Jillian Robinson. And the most overowned is Sean O'Malley. Which means I may be playing a lot of rolling Paiva, and hopefully, hopefully Paiva can get a get a submission. Paiva may be one of the lowest owned fighters on the slate. The problem is, is that. Like on a 15 fight card, like Pi, like I don't know how many points he could score because Piva's passed the victory as a submission, and O'Malley's not going to come close. I mean, O'Malley's long, and he's not going to let Piva come close, and Piva doesn't really strike much. So unless O'Malley makes a mistake, I don't, I don't know, I don't know. It's not a matter of like yeah, Piva could win, but I mean, I don't want a third round submission win. 
a low, a low, you know, with two takedowns or something. I mean, yay, 75 points. Like, I'm not sure if that's good enough on this slate. But I'm not interested in playing Juliana Pena. Good luck. Good luck with that. Massive. You need a massive. But look, she, she's only going to be 6% owned. And she's still like one of the one of the lowest rated fighters in my in my quote model. More likely to play Jordan Wright than anything. Or, or Priscilla catch a beating. That, that, that's her, that's her, that's her name. Cause she always catches a beating. Catch aware. She'll probably be over-owned. I don't think she'll be 18% owned. Cause people are going to want to play the top end people. And they're going to have to find someone down here. And I don't like, I don't, I really, they don't rate out very well. Schnell could get knocked out. He's gotten knocked down in the first round like five different times in the past like couple of years. Do we play right against Bruno Silva? I mean, I guess you could do that. That's possible. But I think a lot of people will try to play like Nunez O'Malley. And then you're gonna have you're gonna have to and Kelly like Kelly's gonna be popular down here. But like Minner, ugh, Ige. There's not much down. There's really not much down here. And people are going to try to do these scars, stars, and scrubs, but I think a lot of it is going to be in the middle, right? Taking taking one of the heavyweights, the Tuavasa Sakai fight. Eric Anders shows up well against uh Marie's. Both those fighters, that's that fight's going to be under-owned. Garbrandt's going to be under-owned. Garbrandt versus Kai Kara France. I think that's an under-owned fight. But I, but these 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 underdogs are suspect. When Piva shows up as the best uh, for for his ownership, I, I don't like that that much. But that's what I got for MMA. Uh, right, Bulldogger says Nunes could easily be outscored. Right. A kickstart. I don't play much MMA at all. How often do you stack a single fight in GPPs? Never. You'd possibly, the only way that you would possibly consider it is possibly on the very small cards. Very small, like nine fight card. But a lot of times it's not that you're stacking a fight. It's just that a, a losing fighter ends up in the winning GPP line because like all the favorites win. Or the main event stack because it goes five rounds and it's high volume. But that's on very small cards. And even on small cards, I don't do it because people still do it too much. It's not about whether or not you should do it. It's in comparison to the field. So on a 15-fight card, you will see, look look at the first fight. The first fight will happen. Go to the main GPP. You will see people that have stacked. You will see 17 lineups that are in first place because they stacked the first fight. And you just, you look at that, you look at those lineups and you go, thank you for paying the rate. If anything, people stack the five round fights. They'll stack, they'll, they'll play Poirier and uh, Oliveira in the same lineup. Now on small cards, that, that, that's more viable. On large cards, can it happen? Can, can that be optimal? Yes, it can be, but it's a low percent, very low percentage chance. And it's much lower than the amount of the amount of lineups that do it. People stack the main event in GPP. So it's not worth doing it from an EV perspective. It has a probability, but it's going to be owned higher than its probability. So even on nine fight cards, I don't even do it because people stack it even more. I'm just like, nope. So no, I, 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 will, I will never stack a fight in GPP. Cash is a different story. You're not, look, you're not looking for six winners in the highest score possible. Cash, most of the time you stack the main, you stack a main event. Probably on the on this card, for K, if you're playing DraftKings cash, playing Nunez, playing Nunez, Poirier, Oliveira as the start of your lineup, is I would say that's perfectly fine. You're guaranteeing, you're pretty much, I mean, unless Nunez is going to be so high owned that even if she lost, it wouldn't matter in cash games. But you're guaranteeing yourself essentially, you know, Nunez plus the win, at least a hundred points out of, out of the main event fight, out of the, out of the Poirier-Olivera fight, no matter who wins. 
Because you don't need six winners in cash. You can get four high-scoring winners in cash, you're good, typically. If you get five winners in cash, you're gold. So if you go Nunez, Oliveira Poirier, you're guaranteed to have a loser in there, but if you get all the other winners, doesn't matter what they even score typically. Get get three other winners in your lineup and you're good. Or get two high-scoring winners in your lineup, you're good also. That's typically when you would stack. It would be more for cash games, more for double-ups and head-to-heads. Let's see. Kickstart says, I know it's obviously negative correlation. I've seen those fights where both players get a lot of fights, got a lot of points. So basically only do it on short slates, if at all. Yeah. Yeah. Never in DFS. Okay. Kickstart. I want to give you advice. There's playing something because you've seen it is not, is not lot. It's not logic. You're that's a losing player's mentality. I've seen a lot of fights. I've seen a lot of things happen. I've seen, I've seen the fifth wide receiver on, on, in football games, put up 160 yards passing eight catches, 160 yards and two touchdowns. I've seen it before. Am I playing John Ross on the Giants on Sunday? No. But I, 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 but I've seen fifth wide receivers do it. Like that, that's, you can't think of those mentalities. You have to think, what is the probability versus what is the ownership? That is, that is it. That is all of DFS. That is what expected value is. So, yes, if people, if no one stacked fights, if no, if, if, if I'm playing a, a contest, what, it's like 26, 6,000 entries tomorrow. And I knew that no one was going to stack a single fight, not even the main event. I'd be stacking fights left and right. I'd be stacking the main event, right? Even on a 15 fight card. Because I know that no one is, now there's some value in it. It's a low probability, but its ownership is even lower than that. So then, then, sure. But we all know in MMA, we see these, download the CSV. You'll see people stacking fights all the time. I'd say, I'd say, I'd say enough, there's enough stacked lineups in GPPs, in the large field GPP to make up for half the rank, half of it. There's probably eight, what, six to 8% of lineups that will have two fighters from the same fight in their lineup. The probability of those lineups hitting are way lower than six, six, that like way lower than that. So let them do it. That's the key. It's not whether or not you do it or not. It's what's the probability of it happening versus what, what the market is going to do. And the market, the market still, still amazes me. I see, I, you take a look, take a look. Sometimes you see the winning, the winning GPP lineup, right? $250,000. The winner after three fights is the guy that stacked the first three fights. Not just stack one fight, stack three fights. I guess you want to pay $25 for a, a screenshot that's going to end up being $0. So like, so why are you doing it? Is, is there a, even stacking three fights? There's a very, 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 very small possibility that that's a winning lineup. But even that one lineup, that ownership of that one lineup is probably probably lower than that probability. <laughs> it's probably it's, probably shouldn't be doing it anyway. Okay. Do, 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 do. Yeah, Peter Corey says Monk and, uh, and Chipotle probably made a mistake since they have 150 lineups. Or sometimes they throw in their cash lineup or something in the GPPs. I've seen that before. Sometimes you just see a random train for no apparent reason. People make mistakes. I make mistakes. I've done swaps and I've done late last minute swaps in some lineups and ended up with like a lineup that, oh, I had both of both guys in it by accident. Now I won't do that like a hundred times, but I've done it, you know, once. I've been going through and like, oh, let me switch out this guy and that guy in one of these lineups. And I don't realize that I have his opponent in line. So I, I've done that before. We make mistakes. We're human, right? Hopefully, we won't make mistakes on Sunday for the NFL slate. Uh, I, I'll be up later today. It's being recorded being recorded at two thirty, so it'll be posted to the YouTube channel around five o'clock or so. The Advanced Sports Analytics Show. 
Uh, we got other shows coming up today. NBA Grinders Live later today. Crunch time for premium members. And uh, and uh, as always, I, I, I talk about all these concepts in uh, that we talk about on the show. The Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports. How to think like a professional DFS player. It's a 15-hour audio masterclass that you can pick up at theoryofdfs.com. Hit that thumbs up button on your way out the door. Hit the subscribe button if you're new here. Hit the notification bell to know when all the shows go on live throughout the day. Tons of content. Uh, I'll see you in in RG Discord if you're a premium member. I'm always in the Blenders Game Theory channel there. So uh, so I'll, I'll see you after hopefully a good weekend back on Monday. To answer your DFS strategy questions, as always, on the DFS pregame show on rotogrinders.com.